open tonight up to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be looking at 12 through the rest of the chapter. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing at first. We're actually going to do a little different tonight and kind of read as we go just for the sake of the fact that it's a lot of verses. So we're going to do just a little bit different. But before we get into that, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and just ask uh, his, his, his blessing on our time together. God, thank you so much for um, just this day and for the opportunity, Lord, to, to learn from your word. God, what a gift we have in this book that we hold in our hands. Lord, everything we need to, to live a life that pleases you, Lord, is, is sustained within the pages of this book. God, I just pray you would teach us. Lord, let us learn from it tonight. Father, if we need to be challenged, challenge us. If we need to be convicted, convict us. If we need to be encouraged, God, encourage us. Heavenly Father, you know every single person here. You know us. We're not just, we're not just numbers on a chart, God. We, we are your children, God, and you know us all by name. Your scripture says that you know every hair that's upon our heads, and that's how intimately you know us, God. And so you know every, every struggle that we're facing, every challenge in our life, every decision that we have to make. Lord, whatever it is that we need tonight, I just pray you would speak to each individual person, God, because I believe that you have the power to do that. So, Father, I don't want people to hear me tonight. I want them to hear you. Lord, I'm just a tool, God, that you can use for your people. Take over tonight, and you receive the glory and the praise in this place, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, um, what would happen if a church was filled with people who had total and complete reverence for God and are just radically obedient to the call that he's placed on their life? What could happen in a church like that? Well, as we're going to see today, just about literally anything. I mean, God could do literally anything through a church like that. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we, we talked about the tragedy that was Ananias and Sapphira, uh, a couple who clearly did not um, revere the Lord as they should have. Uh, they, they essentially lied to the church. They lied to the apostles, and, and, and most of all, they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we saw that they literally lost their lives. But in verse 11 last week, if you, if you open your Bibles um, back up, we're going to jump back one verse, and, and look what it says back there in, in verse 11. What, what this did, how this impacted the church and even the surrounding community, it says that, that great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about it. Like, if there ever was a wake-up call to the church, if there ever was a wake-up call to the community at large, that there was a God, who, and he was real, and he was serious about dealing with sin. I'm not sure what better example that they would have needed than these two people just, bam, falling over dead, just like that. Well, what happens next? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about here today as we hop into our verses. And the first verse we're going to look at is verse 12, where we see this simply that the, the church continued to meet together faithfully after that, and, and God began to just move in, in mighty, mighty ways. In verse 12, it says this, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly together at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Now, if you remember back from chapter 4, um, there was a serious threat from the religious leaders, right? As in, you don't teach in the name of Jesus, you don't preach in the name of Jesus, don't even say the name of Jesus, right? And yet, these people weren't shaken by that. In fact, they were so bold that they still met in the temple area, which was Solomon's colonnade, and, and teaching them in the name of the Lord, and not only doing that, doing these just miraculous, incredible miracles right in front of these people, right in plain sight of these religious leaders. And, and as they met, they just kept on teaching the good news. 
just kept telling people about Jesus, about his life and about his death and about his resurrection. I'm sure the teachings that he, that, that he did. And, and these miracles begin to take place. What were the miracles? I mean, we don't know exactly what all the miracles were. We know from verse 16 as we get there in a moment that the sick people were healed. That, that people that were possessed with demons were set free, which would have been pretty amazing to see. And, and whatever it was, it not only impacted the Christians there, like literally even the onlookers to all this were just in awe at what was taking place. You know, I was thinking about that. And, and I, you know, a sure sign that God is moving in a church is when the community is impacted. You ever think about that? Like when, when, when God is moving so strongly amongst God's people that the community begins to change, you know God's doing something. But i tell you what, I hope, I hope, I hope that we have that type of an impact on our community by what we're doing here. Now, this was the case that was going on there, but obviously it wasn't everybody. As we see in verse 13, as we read that, it says that, uh, but, but no one else dared join them even though all the people had high regard for them. Now, there was people who were affected, as we're going to see in a moment, but there was a number of people who, who, although they were in awe by what was happening, although they were like, I think a part of them was kind of wanting to join them and see what this was all about, they refused to. Why? I really believe it was simply out of fear of the religious leaders. They were fearful that if they went and joined these people, that they too would be persecuted. Like one thing that if, they, if I had to guess by now had become just abundantly clear in the Jerusalem area is that these religious leaders were beyond annoyed with Peter and the apostles and these Christians that just kept growing by hundreds, literally, as the weeks passed. And so this deterred a number of people from really kind of entering in and seeing what this was all about. And, and I was thinking about that, and this verse in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 um, just popped in my head. And, and it's a verse that Jesus spoke where he said that, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, how many, how many people throughout the centuries simply just out of fear of, of what may happen to them or, or what might be said to them or, what, or, or whether their family might reject them or whatever that may be. How many people were like these people that, that there was something, there was a draw to Christ and to the church and Christianity and yet they just stayed away out of fear? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm guessing there's probably multitudes throughout the centuries. You know, there's no doubt that choosing to follow Christ comes at a cost, but the choice to reject him, to reject him I can tell you what, it comes at a far, far greater cost than anything that man can do to us. But as we're going to see here in a moment of verse 14, although many walked away in fear, many came and got saved. Look at verse 14. Yet more and more people were brought to the Lord, and believed and were brought to the Lord. And literally it says crowds of both men and women. So like multitudes of people, they just kept on coming. The church kept on growing. People kept giving their life to Jesus. Just exponentially the church is going boom, 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 boom. Just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In verse 15 and 16, as a result, of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds um, and mats so that, listen to this, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their possessed, and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. So not only was Jerusalem impacted, now there was people from other towns coming in, bringing their sick people, bringing those who were demon-possessed, like if, if, his, if his shadow will just like walk by us, 
these people, I mean, what incredible faith. Like, what was the deal with Peter's shadow? Like, did it have some crazy power? Was it like, you know, Peter Pan, where it was separated from his body, like touching, you know what I mean? No, I, I, really, I really don't think that, that, that there was a lot of power in the shadow itself. I don't think that was really the idea. Here's what I think, though. Rather, I, th- I think the implication is that these people had such a belief in the power of Jesus that was working through Peter. That they hadn't seen working through Peter, and, and then really the apostles, too, as a whole, but specifically through Peter, in their minds, are just like, if I can just get close to him, God has the power to heal me. That's faith. And, and it's really not the first time that we see something like this. If you, if you remember back to Luke chapter 8 and, and, and verse 44, you remember that, that time where that, that woman couldn't get to Jesus and she just, she just reached out and just touched the hem of his garment? And he says, power has been released to me. And this woman was just, bam, just instantly healed. Um, one commentator, David Guzik, said this. He said, it may sound crazy that one could be healed by the touch of a shadow, but we know the touch of Jesus' clothing healed a woman. He says, there wasn't anything magical on the garment, but it, it, but, but it was a way that her faith was released. And in the same way, there was no power in Peter's shadow itself, but there was power when a person believed in Jesus to heal them. And the passing of Peter's shadow simply may have helped some to believe. I tell you what, what an incredible work of God that was taking place amongst this church. Now, as we think about Scripture, one thing always to keep in mind if we want to be honest with the text and make sure we don't get off base with the text is we want to make sure that we're reading everything in context. Like, what just came before this is really, really relevant to what's happening right now. So last week, we just talked about what? Ananias and Sapphira. Sin in the church. What if God had not dealt with it the way that he did? What if they were allowed to do what they did and sin began to fester in the church? See, my mind just wanders like this, right? And I'm just thinking, would, would this still have taken place? Would there have been these same miracles, these same people getting saved, the, this word spreading to villages around Jerusalem, if sin was allowed to continue and fester in the church? I mean, obviously it's still specul- it's just speculation, but I would say probably not. Like when a church is walking in holiness and their church is, is free from sin, I mean, obviously we sin, but it's the idea, do we deal with it, right? Um, there's literally no limit to what God can do, but when sin is allowed in a church and allowed to fester, when people are, are living in known sin, doing things they know they're not supposed to do, can I tell you something? It will affect their life as individuals and it will affect the church as a whole. That's why I'm convinced that if Ananias and Sapphira weren't dealt with, we probably wouldn't be seeing this incredible act in the rest of chapter 5. Now, this means we need to take sin seriously. Like, if people know they're doing things that are clearly sin or living outside of, of, of God's word, like, they need to make a choice. And there's like three choices I can think of, because hiding is really not one of them, because if we saw with Ananias and Sapphira, that don't work, right? God sees. <laughs> that this, you're only going to be hiding. Sin's going to be exposed at some point, right? And so there's really only three things that a person can do. Like one, they could deal with it with God, right? They could just repent of it, ask God for strength, and, and just start living his way. I mean, who would agree that's probably the best choice? Let's do it that way, right? Now, another choice is just to be like, um, well, I'm going to continue to do what I'm going to do because this is who I am, and, and it is what it is, right? Well, you're going to have a struggle with your walk with God, and the church is going to suffer. The people in this room will suffer 
because of that. Or three, um, you know, you can force your church to walk in the church discipline. <laughs> um, and that's no fun either when the church has to come alongside of a person in sin. But the point of it is this, is friends, holiness in the church is a huge deal. And it should be a, de- it should be a big deal to us as well. If we truly care about our church growing and being spiritually healthy, seeing God move, seeing God, his hand move, and see people saved in our communities, like we need to make sure that we're dealing with our sin properly. We know it happens. I'd, be a, I'd sin right now if I admitted to you that I, if, if, if I said to you that I didn't sin and mess up on a daily basis. I think we would all be lying if we didn't say that. We all do, but the point of it is let's deal with it God's way. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just make it a daily practice as it doesn't affect the church body as a whole. Now, we get to verse 17 and 18. And it says this, that the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They, they, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, here we really get to, like, what is kind of the, the real issue that's getting under the leader's skin. They were jealous. They were jealous of Peter and the apostles. Like, they were the ones that the people always used to come to. When people needed advice, they went to them. When people needed, like, hey, give me a verse for this, they went to them, right? Well, now, Peter and the apostles were stealing their thunder, and it did not set well with these people. And so they chucked them in jail for an evening. Now, we talked last week about the destructive nature of pride and how there's no place for it in our lives. And I tell you what, you can see it in no better example than these Pharisees. These, these people were full of it. Jesus called them out on it in, in his life. They, they were full. Of, they just had massive, massive egos. I mean, think about this. These same people that were bugging Peter and the apostles right now, they saw the things that Jesus did. Like, they saw the miracles. They heard the teachings with their own ears, and they killed him for it. I mean, they heard the reports that Jesus rose from the grave, and you know what they did? Not investigate it. They paid, off the, they paid off the soldiers to cover it all up. That's how big an ego and how prideful these people were. I mean, the apostles were doing these miracles right out there in front of them, right out in front of Solomon's colony there in the temple, and, and still they completely dismissed it. Why? For no other reason that I could think of except they did not want to lose their position of influence that they had with the people. They loved their power, and they loved the money that came with it, And it ultimately cost many of them their souls. Never, ever underestimate the danger of pride. Now look look down to verses 19 and 20. It says, But an angel um, of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people the message of life. Wouldn't you like to have been there to see that? I mean, there they are in jail, probably in shackles, and like, how did this work? I mean, like, I don't know. Did like the angel make him invisible? Pfft, who knows? Did he put the jailers asleep? Pfft, who knows? We don't know. All we know is that it happened. And whatever happened, you're talking about something that would have been amazing to be a part of. And there's just a couple thoughts that I have about that as I was thinking about those couple verses. And one is this, like, we should serve God completely without fear, knowing that he will sustain our lives as long as he has a plan for our lives on this earth. If God can do something like that, can I tell you something? He will sustain your life as long as he has a purpose for you. Guaranteed. 
Psalm 139 and verse 16, listen to what this says. Speak, this, he's speaking directly to God. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Like if we really believe that as Christians, we should literally serve God without ever letting the fear of man deter us. Or Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Like I am convinced that, friends, if, if we will give ourselves fully over to the Lord, and until the day he has planned to let us go, I don't care who comes against us, I don't care if Satan himself comes against us, God will not let us pass from this earth until he says so. We need to live like that, live with that confidence. Now, does this mean that all Christians will have miraculous escapes from danger like this? No. I mean, even the apostles, like literally all of them lost their lives. The only one that didn't was John, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. Church history says they threw him in a pot of boiling oil, but he, but he didn't come out fried, so they chucked him on an island and then made him sit there in an island prison for the rest of his life. I mean, who comes out of a boiling vat of oil alive? He did. But you know what he did on that island? He wrote Revelation. God had a purpose for his life, right? So, so God will sustain us as long as he has a purpose for us. I mean, you know, look at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Person after person after person lost their life for their faith. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read testimony after testimony of people who didn't escape death. But the point is, until God says so, it ain't going to happen. So live in faith and trust the Lord and have confidence in him that you're not going to pass from this earth until he says so. The second thing I kind of got from that was this. Notice the command the angel gave to go and preach the words of life. Can I tell you something? <coughs> this is and should always be the number one message of our church, giving the words of life. Now, sure, we talk about a lot of important things, of course, as a church. We need to be learning the ins and outs of what it means to follow Christ when it comes to church life. There are important things. I mean, we need to be in fellowship, right? We need to be in worship and serving and do discipleship. But never let us forget that all of those things lead back to the overall mission of the church, which is to preach the words of life. To proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, and his resurrection to the world around us. Can I tell you something? Everything we're doing here leads to what we're supposed to be doing out there. And if not, here's what I'll tell you what will happen. We'll fall into the same trap that church after church after church has fallen into over the century. You become a glorified country club having zero effect on the mission you're supposed to be having on the people out there. Let's keep the words of life at the forefront of all that we do and remember all the training, all the learning, all the fellowship, all the encouragement. It's to build us up that we can be witnesses outside the walls of this place. And beyond that, I'll tell you this, when we preach the words of life, there, there is nothing that, that gives me more fire in my soul than hearing the gospel. I mean, the simplest thing, that Christ died for me and forgave me of my sins and made me a child of God. And can I tell you something? No matter how many times I hear that, it just shoots like lightning through my body. And it's just like, whoa, it's amazing. Never lose sight of how amazing the gospel is. Let's jump down to verses 21 through 24. And so at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, and they were told and immediately began teaching. Don't you just love their just 
obedience, like just absolute obedience. I mean, like men were just fearless. They just walked right back in. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convinced the high council, the full assembly of the elders. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. Um, but when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. And so they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and, his leading, and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where this all would end. Can I tell you something? This was a big deal for the prison guards. I mean, in, in that day and age, to lose a prisoner, I mean, many times it meant your death. Now, just, just think about this scenario, right? You're talking about Peter and the apostles, the one doing crazy miracles. Maybe it's just speculation, but I guarantee you they didn't, push their, they didn't just put their scrubs in the jail to watch over them last, that night. I mean, they put probably their best guards there that night, if I had to guess, right? Again, just speculation, but I, I just have to guess. And there wasn't, I guarantee you there wasn't just one. And, and so, like, the chief of the, of the, of the guards and, and, these, and these religious leaders, they knew darn well that they didn't just get out. And when they went and looked, like, well, there ain't no holes. They didn't dig through. How'd they get out? Obviously, it was some kind of a crazy miracle. But boy, they were ticked. Well, again, like, wouldn't you like to be a fly? If you could go back in history to see some things, like, this would be, like, one of them, just to go, <laughs> you know, just watching them. I mean, you look at verse 25, it says that someone arrived with startling news. You talk about just adding fuel to the fire. The men you put in jail are standing out in the temple teaching the people. I mean, they probably pulled the tassels right out of their beanies when they heard that, you know. I mean, I don't know what was going on, but you know that these people were absolutely angry. And you get down to verse 26, and it says that the captain went out um, with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Like, they were literally afraid that the crowds were going to riot, so they went out with kids' gloves, and the disciples went willingly. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't, I know it doesn't like say that like we willingly went but listen they, they went out and they got them because with all these people they could have just been like nope we're not going but they willingly went why i think we're going to see why here in just a few moments uh, we'll talk about that in a minute but now let's, let's go down to verse 27 and verse 28 it says then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them we give you strict orders never again to teach this man's name he said instead you have filled you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Like, they got to the point where they wouldn't even utter his name, that guy's name over there. Isn't that crazy? You ever seen The Lion King? Like that, that part in The Lion King where the little uh, what are they, the hyenas are like, Mufasa, ooh. You know, Mufasa, Mufasa, ooh. I mean, that's kind of what I picture. Like, they won't even say the name of Jesus because probably the demons inside of them were shaking or something whenever that name was spoken. I don't know, but they, they refused even to acknowledge the name of Jesus. And they make this amazing statement, like, why are you trying to make us responsible for your death? I find that statement really, really interesting. Because if, if, you, go, if you flip back to me with, uh, back with me to Matthew chapter 27 for a moment, Verses 19 through 26. Just follow me as I read this. Matthew 27, verse 19 through 26. It says this, Just then, as, as Pilate was sitting in the judgment, see, this is when Christ is alive still and he's been arrested. 
He said his, his wife sent him this message, leave this innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders, so these guys we're talking about, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, which is a known like murderer, to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate sh- so Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who was called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Now look at verse 24. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water, and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is on you and yours. And the people yelled back this, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So, Whose responsibility was it? Oh, I think they were very, very much guilty of the blood of Christ. So like, yeah, they were very responsible. Now, look down to verse 29 through 32. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. But the the, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And then God put him in the place of honor at the right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel will repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Can I tell you something? I think this is why the disciples willingly went back. Just so they had the chance to share this message. And, and I don't mean like that they were snarky. Like, you guys killed him. Now, I don't mean that a bit. Because they didn't stop there. You know, I'm sure there was a part of these apostles that wanted to despise these people. But that's not how they responded. And instead, they responded with the, literally the greatest compassion possible and offered them, these people, they offered them the words of life. And this wasn't the first time. Every time they confronted these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they shared the gospel with them. I mean, yeah, they, they made them, they made sure they knew they, they were responsible because, like, if you don't know why you need Jesus, why do you need Jesus, right? I mean, you killed the Son of God, right? I mean, you need somebody. You need salvation. You need forgiveness. But, but again, if you look again at verse 31, they're like, look, this is why Jesus came. He, he came to Israel so you can be forgiven of your sins. All you got to do is repent and believe in the name of Jesus, can I tell you something? Their message was not a message of condemnation. It was a message of compassion. The apostles had every reason to despise these people, but they chose not to. Why? I think the why is because they knew they didn't deserve God's grace any more than these men did. Like, they were sinners too, and God saved them. And I was thinking about that, like, you know, we should never lose sight of the amazing grace of God. Like, we, we didn't earn our salvation, we don't deserve our salvation, yet, yet how easy is it for us when we're dealing with people that annoy us or irritate us or anger us or, or whatever to begin to condemn them? You know, the fact of it is, is eternity is a long time for people to endure God's judgment. 
And the fact is, people may choose to go there, but let it not be because we didn't give them another option. Like the words of life and redemption and forgiveness are contained in the message of Christ and the message of the gospel, let's at least give them a chance, at least offer them life, even the ones that bug us the most. Let's pray for them. Let's share the gospel with them. Look down at verse 33. It says, When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. (laughs) So they offered them the words of life, but as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Friends, we can share the gospel with people. We can tell them the truth, but it's up to them at the end of the day whether they choose to follow Christ or not. That's on them, not on us. Verse 34, but one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Now, who was Gamaliel? So Gamaliel was the grandson of, a, of, of one of the kind of um, rabbis named Hillel, which was really the founder of like the most prestigious um, religious training place right there in Jerusalem. And so he was a man that was really, really revered, um, especially by all the people that were in that room. Um, and in, interestingly enough, he was also the one who trained the, um, a guy known as Saul's Tar- Saul of Tarsus, who we will know as the Apostle Paul, right? And so this is kind of this guy. Um, and he obviously had prominence with the people because the fact that he stood up and said this when he wasn't the one in charge, you know, you know that they had a lot of respect for him. But anyways, let's look what he said down in verses 35 through 39. He says this, Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was um, that fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And after him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers scattered. So my advice, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will be overthrown. But, there's that transitional word again, and this is a big one, but if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and you may even find yourself fighting against God. Can I tell you something? I don't think Gamaliel realized how right he actually was. There is nothing that is going to stop the true church of God from moving forward. Nothing. There's not a world leader or a group of nations that has the power to stop it. Can I tell you something? Satan and all of his minions don't have the power to stop it. They don't. How can I be so confident? Because Jesus said so. Because the one who the Bible says is now reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords, he said so. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. He's talking to Peter, but he's really talking about himself. He says, I say, to you that, I, I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock, he's talking about himself, and on this rock, him, the foundation stone, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like the religious leaders literally had no chance of stopping what God was doing here. Why? Because Jesus was the power behind the movement. And they couldn't do anything about it. The ones that were trying to get this, quit talking about that guy. He was the power behind this entire thing. And, and guess what? It ain't going to fail today either because Jesus said so. Not only that, if you, if you look at the end of the Great Commission, 
Remember, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach all, these, uh, every, all the commands that I've given you. And he says this, and, and I will be with you all the way to the, very end of, to the very end of the age. Like He's like, I'm with you. As I was with the apostles, I'm with you. Satan can do nothing. Remember from Acts chapter 1-8, we, we will receive power. The Spirit comes on us. We will be witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. Matthew 20, 20, 24 and verse 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached to the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Jesus has already declared it. And can I tell you something else about the words of Christ? 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ and through him and amen is spoken to the glory of God. You know what amen means? Amen means let it be so. It's like a stamp of, on, on, you know what I mean? It's, it's a done deal, right? I mean, we can look at these things and have absolute confidence that the church will not be stopped. Jesus is the one that got this train going, and can I tell you something? Not Satan and all of his forces has the power to derail it. It's going to go all the way to the end. Why? Because the King of glory, the Lord of lords, and the Son of God is the one driving it to the finish line. Let's hop on that train. Let's make sure we stay on it because the end is the greatest victory that you will ever experience in your life. That's good stuff. Last three verses here, and we're going to close up. Verses 40 through 42. The others accepted his device. They called in the apostles and had him flogged. And then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let him go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, I love this, and every day, in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> How'd that work for you? <laughs> Woo, that's good. Like, were they really rejoicing because they just got their, like, shredded? Like, you know what flogging is? A big whip with a bunch of metal shards on the end of it. They would rip into their body and rip their, just literally shred their skin. And they were rejoicing over that pain? I don't believe it was the pain they were rejoicing over. A couple thoughts on this as we close. By suffering for Jesus, it allowed them to truly identify with him as truly belonging to him. You know, Jesus had told them before he had died that they would suffer on his account, and now they had. And the fact that the very reason they suffered was only because they were standing strong and preaching the name of Jesus, that brought them incredible joy. And here's what else I think brought them joy. They knew that they had remained faithful through the fire. They were tested in one of the most awful ways. And they passed the test with flying colors. Their lives were literally on the line and they refused to bend or to back down. They didn't cower in fear like they had in the past. They stood their ground with boldness and they knew they had just put a smile on their Savior's face. They knew it. And all they endured, all they endured to make that smile happen was worth it. Friends, the time is coming when this may be closer to home than we want to realize.
Persecution is happening all over the world, and it's bound to come here too. But if and when it does, friends, let's take on the same attitude as the apostles. Let's endure what we must endure with joy, knowing that God is pleased, that Christ is glorified, and that our reward is going to be great in the end. I'm going to close with just a few references and one quote. Romans 8.18 tells us this, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will will reveal to us later. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison. 1 Peter 4 and verse 13. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of His glory. And finally, Revelation 22 and verse 12 Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to give each one according to what he has done. And the quote I want to end with this is from uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of old. He says, Now I charge every Christian here to be speaking boldly in Christ's name, according as he has opportunity, and especially to take care of this tendency of our flesh to be afraid which leads practically to endeavors to get off easily and to save ourselves from trouble. But fear not. Be brave for Christ. Live bravely for Him who died lovingly for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word for this time. God, I am so thankful for the example of these men. For to, to see their boldness and their faith, Lord God. To see how You have changed them. God, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for me. It gives me hope for all of us, Lord God. Lord, there wasn't anything special about these men, Lord. Just, they were ordinary men like we are, and yet you empowered them to do great things because they walked in obedience with you, Father. They, they depended upon you. They stayed faithful to you. And God, you could still do great things for your people today if we're just doing those same things. If we walk in faith and obedience and dependence upon you, God, there's no limit to God what you you can do through us or what you can do through us as a whole, as a church, Father. I want to see our church have an impact on Davis Junction and Stillman Valley and Monroe Center and and these communities that surround us, Lord God. Let's have an impact like these people had in Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. Lord, but I don't want them to see Grace Fellowship Church. I want them to see you. I want your glory to be so evident here in this place, God, through your people that it draws people. Lord, you have the power still to do that today, but God, it depends on whether or not we're willing to do what it takes. Give us the boldness, give us the grace to trust you, to walk in your power, knowing you are with us, knowing you're never going to leave us, knowing you're by our side. Give us the grace to trust you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. I thank you for Christ who made it all possible. And it's his name that we pray these things. Amen. As we close tonight, we are going to sing an exciting song um, about the fact that, that the God of angel armies...